that for me was really when I turned the corner, when I realized that my journey and my suffering could mean something. It could mean that somebody else doesn't have to endure what I endured. Somebody else doesn't have to think that they're going to die. I am Cheryl Whitten, and this is The Aromatherapist, where we discover the superpower of plants. One of the biggest problems in aromatherapy is conflicting information and crazy wild claims. All you have to do is search essential oils on the internet and you'll see what I'm talking about. So when you're looking for information, how do you know who to trust and how do you know what's right? Well, that's the reason I created this podcast and a course called Science of Aromatherapy. The Science of Aromatherapy course takes you through aromatherapy as a healing art and the history and modern use of essential oils. You'll learn the basics of aromatherapy, the science and chemistry of essential oils, contraindications and safety considerations, and clinical and personal applications. In this course, I take you through everything from how aromatherapy affects epilepsy and bleeding disorders to drug interactions, allergies and sensitivities, and to use in pregnancy and breastfeeding, and even with children. We covered the main modes of application and profiles of the 10 most popular essential oils. By the end of the course, you'll understand the most common contraindications and safety guidelines, how to use essential oils, how to build a protocol, and how to choose, cross-reference, and eliminate essential oils, as well as how to formulate, blend, and dilute essential oils, and so much more. So why should you learn from me? Well, I'm a clinical aromatherapist, and I've been working with essential oils for around 20 years. I've trained with some of the world's renowned botanists and aromatherapy experts, and I teach people all over the world about aromatherapy. I also happen to be a professional health writer and have published peer-reviewed research work in aromatherapy. It's no longer necessary to be confused about aromatherapy. Let me guide you to clarity. Visit livelovelemon.com forward slash science dash course to enroll. My guest today is Kelly Codell, who is an electrical engineer from the United States, who is a Lyme disease conqueror. She works with LymeFriends.com, which is a free website and app for Lyme patients that offers Lyme disease literacy and free tools like a digital health planning tool and a video library that simplify the healing process, make information about Lyme disease easily digestible and manageable, and offers a community to connect with other patients who have Lyme disease. And so I talked to Kelly about her lived experience with Lyme disease and the effects that it absolutely ravaged on her life. She was chronically ill with Lyme disease for 10 years and five of those she spent in bed and thought she was going to die three different times. And she had many what she feels are unnecessary medical interventions and modern Western medicine really kind of failed her. And it wasn't until she went to a naturopathic doctor until she shifted into natural medicine and found a Lyme literate doctor that she was able to really make progress and conquer Lyme disease. And so we have a really frank and candid conversation. And Kelly was so open and shared very personal details with us about her experience in hopes that someone else who is experiencing Lyme disease or experiencing a lot of unusual things might feel hope that there is healing available and that there is other people who are living the same 
experience. And so I so appreciated Kelly's story and her sharing that with me. I personally have, as I say in this episode, while I was talking to her, I personally have friends who have Lyme disease. And so I am aware of just the absolute toll it takes on the body and it can take when it goes undiagnosed for so long. And I do want to say as well that we talk a lot on the show about mental health and mental illness. I do want to give a content warning that we do discuss suicide in this episode. And if you need support, you can visit crisisservicescanada.ca. So without further ado, Kelly Codell. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. Great to be here. Before we get into things, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from? Yeah, so uh, from Northern California originally, I am 39 years old, and I am a chronic Lyme disease conqueror, which is super exciting to say. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't ever get to say that. So um, I was sick for about 10 years. Five of those were primarily spent in bed, uh, 20, 22 hours a day. And when I was 36 years old, I thought I was going to die three times. Mm. So now that I'm better, uh, I work to spread awareness and to help others. Um, I think a lot of people have Lyme and don't know it. And unfortunately, it is now more common than breast cancer, but really rarely diagnosed. So uh, I started working with LymeFriends.com. And we are building resources for patients, things that we wish that we had available when we were in our battle. So that's what I'm trying to do. I think it's so important what you're talking about because um, even in, so I'm from Canada and Lyme disease has not been very prevalent in Canada, uh, but it is now. And where I live, we never used to have ticks and we do now. And I have found them on my pets and my kids. And it's just not something that we used to have in Canada. And with, I think with all the changes in the weather and the climate, things are, you know, it's getting warmer and we have ticks. So I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you and to hear about your experience. So can you tell us like, how, how long did it take you to even find out you had Lyme disease and, and what was your experience really like? Um, Yeah. So first I I would just like to say, you know, Lyme is also transmitted by mosquitoes, spiders, and fleas, Mm -hmm. which is not well known. They don't live as long. (laughs) So luckily they can't hurt as many people, but uh, just for for people listening to be aware, it's not just ticks. Mm -hmm. So I was sick and undiagnosed for six years. And what was the experience like? Imagine a crime scene drama, okay, with a big billboard and you have pictures of people and places and all the strings and arrows and a crazy mess of web of what could possibly be the answer. And that is pretty much uh, what my experience was (laughs) (laughs) to get diagnosed. (laughs) Oh, man. So it took you six years and you just didn't know what was going on or like, what are what were some of the problems? You know, I think part of the problem with Western medicine specifically is you go to a, di- a different doctor for everything. And so I had all these random, I thought, unrelated symptoms, you know, so I went to the foot doctor for my foot. I had back surgery. I went to the back doctor for my back. I had 
I gave a presentation one day and I woke up and I looked like an ogre. My eyes were so swollen mm. and I couldn't cancel. I had several hundred people. It was a work event, you know, and I went to the eye doctor and it just all this, this stuff and it wasn't connected. I ended up having unnecessary butt surgery twice. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, I mean, all these things that I just, in retrospect, I think, man, I wish somebody would have educated me that, you know, when you, when you have an infection, when you have a toxin, when you have something systemic in you, of course, it's going to attack everything. And to me, it makes so much sense now. Um, but that's also why I'm trying to raise awareness and I'm trying to help people because, I I was the person who had no idea. Mm -hmm. I was a very healthy person. I had never been sick. Uh, I never went to doctors. I played two sports in college, you know, and all of a sudden everything in my body was fighting me. So yeah, it was, it was six pretty agonizing, confusing, you know, emotionally hard. My friends and family thought I was faking it. I was looking for attention. Like there's no way that that other random thing happened to you, Kelly. I mean, come on, you know. <laughs> so many people with chronic illness deal with that. Um, I have autoimmune disease and I have, it took me five years to get diagnosed and same thing. It's just, and it can look pretty um, invisible. It's very difficult, but common experience, unfortunately. Oh, I feel for you. <laughs> you know, and I make the same mistake. I meet people and I, and I have a neighbor who I'm helping now. And when I met her, I mean, she looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. You know, I told her that. And then I found out how sick she was when we really started to get to know each other. And now, thank God, like we figured this out and I'm helping her. But I mean, what does illness look like? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's part of our problem too, I think, with raising children is we teach them that if that person's in a wheelchair, that's the person who is sick. But the people who are walking around who look like everybody else, you know, they're probably fine. And that just not, I mean, you just can't put, put a cover on illness. Yeah. And also the person in the wheelchair is very capable and well. Also, like we, we, we oh, get that and completely I'm backwards. <laughs> And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to imply otherwise. I'm just saying we we attach what we can see and we don't think about the yeah, rest. And exactly. I'm no, we completely. And that's exactly what that community talks about as well. It's just like it's completely backwards, right? So what was the turning point for you? When When did you decide to try a different approach and specifically the natural or holistic approach? Yeah. So uh, again, I, I've been so fortunate. I, I am so lucky. I was dating a guy who was a blood testing rep and his clients were naturopathic doctors. Mm. And after my first after my first butt surgery that went poorly, you know, and just, I mean, knowing my lifestyle, knowing how healthy I was, he told me, he's like, Kelly, something is not, is not right. Like there is definitely more here. Um, this was after my back surgery as well, probably four or five years into illness. And I was, to me, it was almost, I was giving up, which again, I mean, was a horrible perspective, but I always believed in Western medicine. I'm an engineer. I was taught new science is best. Mm -hmm. My family still does. 
but yeah, for me, you know, and I, and I'm so grateful that he pushed me so hard and he ended up introducing me to my now really good friend and naturopathic doctor who diagnosed my Lyme. So yeah, it was, it was a big change for me and I kind of realized what I was doing wasn't working because I was still just getting all these random ailments all the time Mm -hmm. and I just knew there had to be a better way. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want to back up a little bit, butt surgery and back surgery. Like what was going on with that? Like how, how did we get there? Yeah. So, you know, and actually I appreciate you backing up to that. I, I hear people all the time say I have fibromyalgia. Mm. I have MS, I have chronic fatigue syndrome, rain nods, even Alzheimer's, you know, and, and we trust these doctors to put these names and these labels on things without figuring out the root cause. And, you know, I, I would argue what causes your lesion in your brain with MS, potentially mm-hmm. it's neuroline. So all these people who think that there are no answers, I mean, I just, I had a lot of joint problems. And again, it was just the Lyme causing inflammation. Of course, at the time I had no idea. So I ended up, I I still have permanent nerve damage down my right leg. Um, My right calf is about half the size of my left calf. Mm. And that's just my life and that's fine. But yeah, I just, you know, I was very Western medicine focused. And what, what, what do you do when you go to a surgeon and you say, fix me? They say, okay, I'll cut you. Yes. Yes. Totally. That's what I did. And uh, I'm still, unfortunately, I mean, surgery doesn't go without side effects. Mm-hmm. you know, and a quick fix that I had. I mean, I still have, <laughs> I still have problems with my butt that mm-hmm. had I not had surgery, I wouldn't have any problems anymore. So yeah, bit, lots of regret. <laughs> no kidding. And so was it, do you think it was a, a problem of, like you were saying, no one's talking to each other? No, you know, holistic look at like, why is this happening? Investigating Yeah. So in my experience, you know, these doctors and I mean, I I dated a guy for a while, uh, single, (laughs) but (laughs) I dated a guy for a while who was a surgeon. And I mean, he's on the clock with every patient, you know, he is checked in and checked out and he is monitored and scored based on how many minutes he spends, which is just not the right way. I don't Mm -hmm. think for medicine to work. And I am a victim of that. You know, my, my doctors would, would spend however much time with me it was necessary to say, okay, you know, try this one medication. And if that doesn't work, come back. Nobody ever said, maybe it's your diet. Maybe your gut is inflamed. Maybe you have worms. Guess what? I had worms. I had a ton of them. Just, I had worms. I mean, it happens. It's actually pretty darn common. I had mold, you know, so I had candida problems. And again, these were things that were never mentioned in my, you know, seven minutes that I got with the doctor. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting you talk about that because I'm, as I said, I'm Canadian and we have public health care. And so everything's on the government. That is a massive problem. We are so grateful for public health care. You know, I do not want it to be any other way, except that that's a problem. You get 10 minutes, maybe. And that's part of why it also took me forever to get to get diagnosed. So I think it's it's a it is a big problem and we really need the government to fix that where they're they're compensated for spending longer time with the with the patient, you know, where we get just more holistic look at things. 
Yeah. You know, and I would say too, I mean, I definitely put some of that ownership of fault on myself. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was busy. I was hustling, you know, I had a job, I was traveling. I, I didn't want to spend the time, you know, I, I just kind of, uh, naively assumed, you know, like a book or like a broken bone, you walk into the doctor, they throw a cast on you and you're better. And I think that a lot of us now we kind of have that Amazon mentality, mm-hmm. of whatever it is, it needs to be fixed tomorrow. And when you're sick and, and again, like someone who had never been sick, I just, I really needed a kick in the butt to tell me to calm down and get serious about my health. Yeah. And there's that, that whole mentality of doctor fix me, you know, fix me, give me a pill. Why don't like just, and you know, that's not fair either. Like you're saying that's, you know, we have to be, we have to be advocates for ourselves and take responsibility. Absolutely. So one of the biggest pieces, obviously to Lyme disease is bacteria and the infection that it just wreaks havoc on the body. And Western medicine approaches this with antibiotics. And since it's bacteria that works, especially for Lyme disease. And I, I want to bring this up because it's important to talk. There's so much controversy in Lyme treatment. And so I really want to bring this up. But for some people, you know, like you were talking about for yourself, it was six years. And so that infection can lead to all kinds of massive problems. And that lasts even after you've been treated with antibiotics. So can you talk a little bit about what you learned about why Lyme can be really hard to resolve? Yeah. So it started as an infection of bacteria and don't I wish I had known it. I never had a bullseye rash. I never had any kind of visual. Um, They say only 20% of Lyme patients have that. Um, So I, I would tell your listeners, I mean, if you guys have random stuff and doctors can't figure it out, don't discount Lyme just because you never had a rash. I never Mm -hmm. did. Most people don't, you know, and the problem is during, and you make an excellent point during that six years, what was happening inside my body, all of my healthy organs, everything that is there to protect me and keep me safe was being beat. And, you know, it ends up, it affects your glands. It affects, you know, your thyroid. It affects your GI and your stomach. Um, throw some antibiotics on top of that fire. I mean, if you already have a damaged system like I did, which allowed things like worms to enter my body, where a healthy body fights that kind of stuff, but my body was no longer able to. And, I, and again, I didn't know any of this. I didn't know that I barely had any testosterone. Nobody tells women to worry about your testosterone mm-hmm. levels. Um, you know, I even have friends I've mentioned this to, and their doctors tell them, oh, you're female. You don't need testosterone. And that kind of, you know, mentality, it is just so wrong. Testosterone is a huge part of your immune system. So I had very low testosterone without knowing it. And my, my whole body, everything that is meant to protect me wasn't. So by the time I had my Lyme diagnosis, I mean, add to that list, worms, mold, you know, mold is fungus, worms are parasites, like every other little thing that could possibly go in there. You know, viruses oftentimes hang out in your body and they're like, Hey, this body is weak. You know, we can, we can start coming back here and it just, it affects everything. And the, and the damage that the bacteria can do, like, you know, some people with Lyme disease end up with, like you were saying, joint inflammation. And so it just, it, so maybe you treat the, the Lyme, but that can take a while for that stuff to repair. Um, yeah. So the most, the most common misdiagnoses of Lyme, what is actually Lyme, chronic fatigue, 
MS, Alzheimer's, ALS, fibromyalgia, Raynaud's. I mean, I'm sure the list goes on. Those are just off the top of my head. So those are the types of symptoms. I was diagnosed with depression. I was on depression meds for six months, which made me feel worse. <laughs> it did mm-hmm. nothing for me because the Lyme was attacking my brain. And you're absolutely right. The problem too with Lyme is even after you kill the bacteria, I have holes in my brain, physical damage to my brain tissue. Mm. And I am working to repair it. But just because the Lyme is gone and thank God it's not burrowing any more holes in my brain. Um, but I'm noticeably stupider than I used to be, which is really frustrating. Like I, I feel, you know, you hear of older people saying that they are more forgetful. They can't learn as quickly. I mean, I'm in that position. I'm 39 years old. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I do what I can to, to fix it. Um, but yeah, it is really, really hard. And it, and Lyme can also affect your heart too. Like you can get Lyme carditis and arthritis and your brain. It's very, very common as your, as the bacteria takes over and those symptoms can last. And so we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but it's, it's called post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome is what they call it, where those symptoms can still last, even though you've had antibiotics and Western medicine doesn't know what to do about that. So you talk a little bit about, and some of your partners talk a little bit about a process called kill, dissolve, bind. Can you explain what that is in relation to the bacteria and sort of in relation to Lyme treatment? So, yeah. So, and honestly, it goes right along with the conversation that we've been having, you know, killing the bacteria is not the end. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just part of the process. Uh, It's important to do it as the bacteria die they have a bunch of toxins, mold, all kind. I mean, you know, all kinds of uh, stuff in them that is bad. That when you kill them, it then releases into your bloodstream. So that's what the dissolve is. So you kill the bacteria, then you dissolve whatever crap it releases when it dies, Mm -hmm. um, which often ends up causing a lot of mental problems, a lot of, um, like you said, cardiovascular respiratory, because when these things die, they're toxic. So, so the toxins go and they just latch on somewhere else if you don't dissolve them. And then when they're dissolved, well, now you have to get them out of your body. So you bind using binders to then almost escort you know, Mm -hmm. toxins to your liver intestines to be released at your stool. But it is a very important part of the process. And this is why uh, you'll hear of people talking about a Herx reaction during treatment. I was just going to mention that actually. Yeah. When you are in treatment, I, I can definitely tell you, you get way more sick before you get better, which sucks. <laughs> but when the bacteria dies, it physically hurts. It mentally hurts because it's creating toxins. You know, I didn't know about that process mm-hmm. when I was in treatment. And um, lucky for me, I had really good doctors monitoring it and doing it for me without me knowing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Looking back at the, you know, hey, Kelly, while you're taking this, take this too. Okay. Like I just blindly took it, not knowing why. I now do know why, because that is why. But not everybody has access to a great doctor like I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really fortunate and lucky that I found somebody 20 minutes away from me who is a Lyme doctor. And, and again, having never been sick before in my life, would I have traveled across the country to go see a Lyme literate doctor? 
I don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. So I got really fortunate. But yeah, the Kill Dissolve Bind basically talks about the fact that it's not just one little bug that you're dealing with. It is then the whole cytokine storm of side effects that come along with that pacing yourself. Okay. That's another thing. A lot of people, again, the Amazon effect, you want to mm-hmm. just like, go, yeah. I don't know, am I allowed to say that? But it is, we do have that mentality of, and I had that mentality. Oh, get, you know, give it all to me. I can, I can beat this, you know, I'll be better in a month wrong. Might be a lot more sicker in a month, actually. <laughs> and that is actually extremely true. I was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's that healing crisis, right? Like when you're doing so much at once, you, you got to be gentle because it can really overpower your system. And if it's already faltering, then that's a problem for sure. So if you don't take those steps, what are the consequences of that? If, and if you don't support the detoxification systems, we talked a little bit about healing crisis. But what, it, what do you think happens if you don't go through these steps? I think you just are going to be in a never-ending cycle of illness. You know, you're, you're moving the illness from one place to another. But I, I can't even see how it would be possible to get better without, without detoxing. I don't know. People might argue with me on that. But as somebody who has gotten better, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, detoxing was a huge, huge part of my healing. And again, it was something that I naively didn't pay any attention to for a very long time because I thought it sounded silly. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, just assumed I was right and I knew better and I didn't. And I really wish that I had realized that sooner. But yeah, the problem is if you don't detox, you kill the lime in one place, it spurs off all of its toxins, they reabsorb somewhere else, they weaken you. Okay, so they make you more sick and more weak. And what does that do? That allows whatever bacteria you didn't kill. Well, now they could go have a heyday and do all kinds of more damage and replicate themselves. So you're right back where you started. Yeah, opportunistic situation. They just take advantage. Yeah. And I just want to be clear too, when we're talking about detoxification, this, this isn't meaning like laxative tea or something. It is literally about taking very specific supplements to support your liver, very specific supplements to support your digestive tract. Am I correct? Absolutely. And you know, it's not just supplements. Yeah. Um, it's also regimens. So, you know, exercise is actually your body's best natural detox. When you sweat, I never sweat my whole life. I played two sports in college and I could wear the same clothes to the gym for a week because, well, I didn't have a laundry machine. And, uh, <laughs> and Minor fact. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, once I started detoxing, I now sweat. I mean, I sweat a lot mm-hmm. and I'm grateful for it because it means that whatever needed to come out is I had a swollen lymph node in my neck. I mean, I looked like I had a goiter for like six months. And it was clogged and nothing would get rid of it. And finally, you know, properly detoxing, my my swollen neck went away. So yeah, it's, you know, and I, and I laugh too. I hear people say they're going to do a juice cleanse. I mean, what does that even mean? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, there are, you know, targeted supplements that you can take. There are wonderful books that you can reference to read about specifically which toxins which supplement Mm -hmm. binds. So when I say bind, a binder either acts like a magnet to attract something to it, right? And then the whole idea is to get it out of your body. Mm -hmm. So 
you, when you bind, you attach and then it goes through your liver, your kidneys and out your system and it exits your body. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, or it acts like a sponge where it absorbs it. So there are different toxins that respond differently. Some, you almost think of it as if you tried to take a magnet and grab a wooden spoon, good luck, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you could use that magnet for years and you're never going to get that wooden spoon. Um, Right. just like that. Some toxins you have to you have to magnetically bind, some toxins you have to sponge grab and bind, but either way there are, you know, and there's there's companies that produce supplements where they combine different percentages of different kinds of binders mm-hmm. to kind of give you, you know a whole and it really just depends. I think everybody should detox. I even think, you know, people who think that they're healthy now, we have our environment is so toxic and our food and yes. our products I mean, God, I, I smell people wearing perfume now and I just want to, I want to help them, you know, yes. and I just feel sorry for them. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Absolutely. All this stuff though. And if you don't bind it and get it out, it's just going to cause you more harm. And things like your, you know, all of these things have to go through your liver. Your liver yes. does so much work. And when it gets all of a sudden flooded with a bunch of dead organisms, the toxins that come, endotoxins that come from these dead organisms. Your liver has to filter that. Mm -hmm. And even anything that you put into your body, like you're talking about, all the things that we put on our body, all the things that we eat, you know, we think about it going through the GI tract, but the liver is key. The liver is so important. And that's a big part of the healing crisis. Well, and I think that's also a really important part to bring up with detoxing. I mean, if you're going to detox and if you're going to be taking these binders, you also need to be supplementing your liver. And mm-hmm. you don't want to take the the liver supplement at the same time because then the binder is just going to, you know, be lazy yeah. and grab onto that because it's right next door. But, you know, a few hours later that same day, you absolutely, so your liver produces bile. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to tell people that bile acts like your trash bag. So your binders fill it up. Well, at some point you want to be able to take the trash out, right? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? If you take liver supplement, your liver creates more bile. It's effectively giving you a brand new trash bag so that that old one can be taken out. And that is a very important part of the cycle of the detoxing process. Um, and again, things that for years I didn't understand and I didn't know and people are not taught. No, exactly. And foods can help with that too. You know, that can be a big part of it too. And I'm curious about to learn a little bit more about your detoxification process in the area of, of emotional and spiritual health. How were you seeing Lyme disease affect that? Here we talk all about holistic health and that the mind and body are a part of your health. And so Was there any practices that you had to adopt for that treatment as well? Yeah, emotionally, I mean, this was the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I I told you I was was diagnosed before I found out I had Lyme. I was on depression medication. I was was down in the dumps. I mean, I was considering suicide. Wow. Um, I, for years... Um, I ended up going to an energy therapist who absolutely changed my life. Um, I tell her (laughs) that she not only taught me that I had a soul, but she saved it. (laughs) Mm, Um, And honestly, that is a lot of the reason why I now do the work that I do. I truly believe that I was saved for a reason. 
I think that I have the ability to help people and to spread awareness and to speak about this and to be vulnerable about it. And that's why I do this. Um, You know, Lyme is really lonely. Nobody ever knows what it is. A lot of people that assume, they assume when you tell them I have Lyme, you know, it's kind of like saying, oh, I have the flu. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there's just no, I, I don't think I've ever told anybody I had Lyme and they knew what it was. So, you know, and even with my own family, the challenge of trying to explain what is it like to be me? What is it like to wake up and realize I have to be somewhere at a certain time? Or heaven forbid, if I have to wash my hair, mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a chore. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, these things that other people, I remember one day I went to work and it was when I had worms and I was digging through my poo uh, to find the worms, to collect them because my doctor wanted to know what kind of worms I had. And I had found worms that morning, which in itself is a <laughs> emotional you yeah. know, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're kind of happy that thing is dead and not inside me anymore. But at the same time, you're a little bit disgusted by yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. And I went to the office that day <laughs> and one of my coworkers asked me, you know, Oh, how was your morning? And I was like, I mean, what am I going to say? It was fine. Of course. <laughs> but I'm just laughing to myself. Like, well, I looked for worms in yeah. my poo and I found some, uh, <laughs> You know, and then she started complaining about some like total trivial nonsense. And I'm just sitting there shaking my head like, lady, <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> but I mean, we do as chronic illness people, you know, and, and did I ever think I was horrified that I had butt surgery, that I had worms. Did I ever think I would be on a podcast announcing this to the world <laughs> uh, with my name attached to it? You know, but, but that's the problem is people don't talk about this stuff. And then a lot of people suffer in silence. They're lonely. Nobody cares when you're in your house by yourself, mm-hmm. right? They forget about you. Um, I mentioned I'm single. So a lot of this journey was by myself. Luckily, my dog has been there mm-hmm. through all of it and she's amazing. But you know, when you're in pain 24 seven and you're alone on Saturday night at 10 PM and your friends kind of care, but really they'd rather go to the bar without you. And oh, Kelly, maybe you'll make it next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's really, really hard. But I also believe that we all have the ability to help each other and that we all, and for me, I have found so much fulfillment in that. And that's part of what we're building on Lime Friends too, is it is an interactive collaborative portal. And the idea is, you know, everybody's journey is different. And what works for me isn't necessarily going to work for somebody else. But by building a community of people with chronic illness who are activated and motivated to help themselves, to help others, the idea would be that you could connect to other people with your same symptoms and be there for each other and help each other through the process. And, you know, have somebody, it has been really rewarding for me to meet other people who understand, unlike my friends and family, that, hey, I'm going to start taking this pill today. And I'm probably not going to notice any result of it for two months. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's okay. (laughs) You know, and so many other people, you tell them you're going to do something and they call you the next day. Well, did it work? And it's almost like surprise when it didn't. (laughs) And you know, that weighs on you emotionally too, to have to constantly after nine years, I just don't see the point of complaining anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, if something, if I, if something goes wrong, like what good does it do me? But to have a community of people who 
are, are dealing with the same thing and working together. I mean, it's just so strong and powerful. And to be able to know you are not the only one. You are not the only one spending thousands of dollars and going through agony, trying treatments. Mm-hmm. I've been there. A lot of people are there. But when, you're, but when you're doing it, like when I had worms, I mean, I felt like I was the most disgusting, just, you know, horrible, worthless person on the planet. But, you know, a lot of people are in that situation. And what's even worse is a lot of people have worms and don't know it. Mm-hmm. I just so want to tell you sick. <laughs> yeah. I just want to tell you that I have had parasites. I have Hashimoto's disease, which is a thyroid disease. And one of my root causes of my uh, Hashimoto's disease is SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Yep. And in that treatment, I absolutely had parasites and it's so common. Yeah. You're ashamed. No one wants to talk about it all of that. It's, it's absolutely horrible. I was, I was so ashamed. I I was so secretive. I wouldn't tell anybody what was wrong with me. Yeah. And there's so many people that, you know, these things are root causes of stuff. It's very worthwhile to, to take a look at that. And that kind of brings me to, I want to go back to what I was saying earlier that, you know, complimentary or natural Lyme treatment gets a real bad rap. And it takes one quick search to find like a scathing critique. And there's sort of this idea that like long lasting symptoms from Lyme don't aren't a thing, like it doesn't exist. But then you have patients like yourself and you have doctors and you have actual organizations that are saying, um, yes, it does. The evidence says it does. And the patients are saying these things are real. And, you know, like some of those big organizations are even like these medical organizations are arguing amongst themselves about how we're supposed to treat Lyme. And so there's a, there ends up like your case, a real gap in treatment. So I'm curious about your view about this. And as someone who has lived with Lyme disease and lived through this treatment that doesn't work, wasn't resolving anything, what do you think needs to change? Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely devastating how many people, and I mean, we're seeing it even now with what's going on with this pandemic. I mean, people are suffering unnecessarily and nobody cares. And it's horribly sad. You know, I I think a lot needs to change. And again, that's part of why the mission I'm on now, you know, finding JP, he is uh, the owner of Lime Friends and he's been working on building this for five years. Mm -hmm. Um, He too, was sick with Lyme, begged his doctors to cut off his legs. Wow. I mean, he was also a college athlete, you know, a very manly man. Mm-hmm. And he begged, he was in so much pain. He wanted his legs cut off. I cannot, I, I can't even comprehend that yeah. for years, you know? And so by, I, I think uh, patients need to have better ways to communicate, better ways to connect we really have to be our own advocate because unfortunately the types of changes that need to take place, I don't see happening in the near future. I think it is an absolute travesty that insurance, at least here in the US, our insurance, and I'm sure too in Canada, you know, the, the people who are making the medical decisions are not necessarily the doctors. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, the mm-hmm. bean counters. And it all comes down to finances. And I, I just think it's absolutely devastating how many people don't have access to good health care. You know, big, big money is in 
all this medication that everybody's on and what would happen if people didn't need all their meds anymore. You know, that's a lot of money and a lot of industry. And I, I just, and it, but I also blame people. Like I blamed myself. Mm-hmm. I used to eat like crap um, because I exercised and I was thin. Well, I was thin because I was sick. Right. And I didn't yeah. know that. Um, but I ate a ton of sugar, a ton of processed foods. I drank a lot. Um, you know, and you hear people, oh, I could never give up drinking. Like really? Because <laughs> that is definitely a toxin burdening your liver. Uh, I rarely drink. I mean, I will on occasion, mm-hmm. but you know, it's not a big part of my life. You know, I think, I think doctors need to spend more time with their patients, asking more questions about their lifestyle, you know, and, and giving them options that aren't necessarily a pill to, you know, but, but again, to, to make it clear, you know, patients need to understand that changing your diet will help you, but it's not going to help you tomorrow. Yeah. And so I, I think it's definitely something, it's just a mindset that needs to be reframed. We need to slow down. <laughs> we need mm-hmm. to realize that we are human, regardless of what has taken place, even in the last hundred years to move technology, to move society, you know, so far advanced, we are still the same beings that existed 10,000 years ago, biologically, mm-hmm. and how our body processes all of the EMF that we're now exposed to, all of the processed food, all of the byproducts and toxins that are in our, you know, in our daily life. I really think being mindful of those sorts of things as a society and as an individual are the key to long-term and future health. Absolutely. And I mean, one thing that I, I like to say too, is just because we don't maybe understand it yet doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so, but that doesn't mean, you know, there aren't people who can help you. And, and so you might just need to find a different doctor who's going to listen to you, you know, and who's going to validate your experience. That's a big thing as well. And look for other answers, you know. And I I would like to add to that. We need to connect. We need to take advantage of all this great technology resources that we've, that we now have access to. And we need to start talking about this stuff. We need to tell each other, I had butt problems. This is how I fixed it, Mm -hmm. you know, and to prevent somebody else. And, you know, going back to your question about mental health, that for me was really when I turned the corner, when I realized that my journey and my suffering could mean something. It could mean that somebody else doesn't have to endure what I endured. Somebody else doesn't have to think that they're going to die. And I think if more people found a connection, we can all help somebody. There is always going to be somebody who is sicker or who doesn't know something that you know. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity to reach out to somebody and to grab them and to say, I can help you. I care about you. You matter. Yeah, it's important. And so I so appreciate what you're doing with this work and building a a network for people because it is important. And that invisible illness, I mean, it just adds another layer that you look fine, but you're not. So absolutely. So what is one thing you wish was available for you when you were going through this? Yeah, a, a community, truly. I've, I felt so isolated. I was scared. And I mean, I'm not that person. I'm a, I'm a successful salesperson, businesswoman. You know, I, I mentioned I played sports in college. Like, I am an achiever. And when I was sick, 
I was not me. I was scared and I was helpless and I was alone. So I, I really wish that I had let my guard down to accept people's help. And I wish that I had found people who understood what I was going through so that I didn't feel like I was the only one because none of my friends were sick. None of my family's ever been sick. Nobody knew what I was going through. Nobody, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't confide in anybody and have them really get it. So yeah, building a community, I think is extremely important. I absolutely agree. Well, I, I really do want to say one more time because it is so important to me. Lyme is rarely diagnosed. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have Lyme disease right now. I would argue a lot of people who are listening to a podcast like yours have Lyme and they just don't know it because nobody has told them yet that they have it. But you know yourself better than anybody. And if, you know, if you're in a situation where you're sick and you think that there is no hope and no future, I, I think that your hope and your future is out there. You just have to find it. And I would encourage everybody listening. There are some really good documentaries about Lyme. You know, educate yourself. And if you think it's a possibility, start reaching out, get connected. If you can get tested, do. You know, just don't set your life aside because some doctor told you that you have an incurable something. Because if I had done that, I wouldn't be here. I agree. If I had listened, if I had not sought extra second, third, fourth opinion, I would not be well either. I mean, two years ago, I could not even work. So I absolutely 100% agree. Ask, get another opinion. That's literally why we do that. So thank you so much for being here. It was so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being vulnerable with us. This will be very valuable for so many people. And um, for anyone who's looking for support or who would like to reach out to you or to your partner, where can we find more about you? Yeah. So we have a couple of things. We just launched LimeFriends.com and you can build a profile for free. You can track your symptoms. You can connect with other patients there. We also have a Facebook group called Lime Conquerors, Mentoring Lime Warriors. And there we do a support group Zoom call twice a month where we answer as many questions as we can. There are three of us who are, you know, currently and we're, you know, we're growing, right? We're going to get more people, but we, we do the best that we can to help as many people as we can. So beautiful. Well, we'll link all that up in the show notes. So thank you so much, Kelly. It was wonderful to meet you. Thank you. You as well. Have a great day. All right, beautiful people. Thank you so much for listening today. If you feel so inclined, please subscribe, rate, and review this show. For show notes and more information on essential oils, please visit livelovelemon.com forward slash podcast. And we love to know what you're up to and how you're using your essential oils. So head over to Instagram and find us at the Aromatherapist Podcast. My name is Cheryl Witten, and I am your aromatherapist. We have to share with you this obligatory disclaimer. Information in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not a replacement for medical advice or for professional aromatherapy consultation. If you need medical care, please visit your physician. Speak to your primary care provider, pharmacist, and a qualified aromatherapist before commencing any programs.